Is that on? There, good. All right. <clears throat> Great. All right. Tonight, we're going to just share just a couple thoughts with you today and uh, this evening and just uh, see if we can't be encouraged a little bit in some areas and uh, we'll see how it turns out. All right. We'll see how it goes. I want to begin not by turning to a passage of scripture. We'll look at a few scriptures a little later, but I want to talk to you tonight about Fort Knox, <clears throat> about Fort Knox. You say, what do you mean Fort Knox? Well, Fort Knox is the name commonly used to refer to the U.S. Bullion Depository located south of Louisville, Kentucky, next to a 109,000-acre U.S. Army base. You, you, may, you know Fort Knox. I mean, that vault, there's a big vault there, and apparently it's said to hold 147.3 million ounces of gold. Imagine that. 147.3 million ounces of gold. That's a lot of gold, isn't it? As a matter of fact, they uh, have estimated it at gold being about $1,833 an ounce. If that was the case, there would be $270 billion of gold at Fort Knox. $270 billion. That's kind of neat, isn't it? Well, the reason I bring that all up is because I want to kind of take just a moment and look at the defense system there. Um, <clears throat> The walls of the depository uh, area there are four feet thick granite, granite, four feet thick granite. Many believe that it's lined with cement, steel, and fireproof materials. Some even have said that it is impervious to an atom or an atomic explosion. I don't know. You drop a bomb on it, we'd see, I guess. But they say that vault is that strong, that, that secure. They have tinted windows in the building. And, of course, the tinted windows are uh, to keep people from being able to see inside, even in the uh, hallways, those kind of things. The glass is fireproof. It's bulletproof. And, uh, of course, it's darkened to the point where no one can see in. Um, <clears throat> the foundation of this particular vault is composed of multiple layers of cement with 10 feet of solid granite on top of that. The granite supports the weight of the vault structures and prevents underground infiltration. Again, remember, there's $270 billion of gold here. The front door weighs nearly 22 tons. It's made of blast-proof material. No single person can enter the vault. It takes a number of people uh, with several different numbers to dial in the combination. And the combinations change daily. Um, at every corner of the depository are multiple focused surveillance systems. They allow for every square inch of the depository to be under surveillance at all times. There are four armed sentinels stationed, uh, stations located on the ground level alone. At each station are secure personnel and Thompson machine guns. And of course, they've added sentinel stations since then in the upper levels in 1970. You say, what does this have to do with church? It will in a minute. You hold on. The last known specifications for the vaults came from the Mosier Safe Company. The vaults were 27 inches thick, made of steel and concrete, and of course, impervious or impermeable to atomic bomb. <laughs> Neat. Okay, I wish my house was like that sometimes. Now, <clears throat> In addition to its defenses, Fort Knox 
has a system of barriers and external defenses that make it virtually impenetrable. They also have, they have these, these um, different fences that are placed. Um, there's a fence on the outside. There's another fence on the inside. There's another fence inside of that. Each of those, uh, those fences are um, uh, electric fences. So you get through one, you got to get through another, and then you got to get through another. There are different walls and barriers and so forth that are there as well. Um, so there are fences, there are walls, there are barriers to climb and to overcome at every level. Not only that, but they speculate and they believe that there are some other things that are there to defend the vault. Not just the physical things, not just those walls and fences and barriers, not just uh, the thickness of the walls and the granite foundation and all of that, but they also believe that there are virtual tripwires as well, which means virtual tripwires can alert security personnel of an object nearly 1,500 feet away. How far is a mile again? 5,280 feet, is it not? Well, that means almost three miles away. These, these virtual tripwires alert people at certain positions and stations in security. They're intelligent enough to distinguish between a moving car and a loitering person. The biometric IDS system, the stereo camera identification and fingerprint analysis that would be standard methods of identification. <clears throat> the stereo camera is so precise, it can point out features altered by plastic surgery. I don't know how that works, but it's supposed to be that good. Then there's, then there's an interesting thing about this particular place. The original builders of the depository have stated that many features were modeled on the Bank of France. Most corridors are said to instantly flood the, the moment an intruder is detected. So they flood with water, those, those different um, corridors. <clears throat> then there are landmines. It's widely believed that between the second and third bar barricades, there is a system of land mines, surface-to-air missiles, and motion-censored automatic rifles. That's nice. <clears throat> and then, of course, in addition to terrestrial defense systems, the vaults are said to be protected from above by a satellite defense system. It can identify potential intruders and attack remotely. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, here, this is Fort Knox. Again, a very, very important place, obviously, where our gold reserves are kept, or at least most believe that. Of course, there are conspiracy theorists that don't believe there's a bit of gold there at Fort Knox and that uh, the government sold it off years ago and we're just pretending. Maybe it's true. I don't know. But either way, they have a tremendous amount of security in this particular location. Well, I guess what I want to say or see uh, you to see tonight is that the world guards and protects what is valuable to them. The world guards and protects what is valuable to them. My question tonight is, what is valuable to you? What is valuable to you tonight? See, there are some things that should be valuable to us as believers. Some things that should be valuable. There are some things that we should guard as believers. And tonight, I want to share a couple of those, and then I want to give you just a real brief, very, very speedy idea of how to do it. 
So let's have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to share some things that we as believers ought to guard as fervently and as, I guess, radically as they do Fort Knox. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership tonight. Speak to our hearts. Lord, encourage us from your word. We have just a few moments tonight, but Lord, in those, this short time that we have left, Lord, may you be glorified in it. Help us, Lord, to see the need to guard some things that you consider very, very valuable. May we, too, find them valuable. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Some things we need to guard <clears throat> very quickly now. Number one, we need to guard our purity. We need to guard our purity. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 14, turn there if you would, please. Very, very powerful passage. The book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 14. There in the passage we read, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. God is very serious about our purity. God's very concerned about our purity. God being pure, holy, righteous, sinless, wants us to equally be as pure, holy, righteous, and sinless. He says, be holy, for I am holy. God puts a premium on purity. Therefore, we must guard our purity. In Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, Who shall ascend into the hill of, our, of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. The reality is, is that your ability to get into God's presence is dependent upon a pure heart. I realize that we're saved. I know that we're secure in Christ. That goes without saying. It is biblical. It's scriptural. I realize that. However, your fellowship will be dependent upon your purity. My fellowship with God is dependent upon my purity. If I want the ear of God, then I must be pure in heart. If I want the power of God in my life, then I must, must sport some purity in my life. There is no place for sin to reign in our lives, if indeed we want God to reign on the throne of our life. It doesn't work. We must guard our purity. Number two, we must guard our testimony. Our testimony. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. Boy, is that a mouthful. It's just a mere few words, simply six words, and yet it encompasses our entire life. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Do you realize that probably I have abstained, and probably you have too, from more things because of that verse than even thou shalt not? You realize that that verse has governed my decision more often than thou shalt not, and you can put what you want behind it. Do you realize that? Do you understand how powerful a verse and how 
impactful that verse is. That verse keeps me from going certain places when the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not go to that certain place specifically. That verse makes me wear a certain type of clothing that maybe the, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not do this or not do that. that. That verse causes me not to respond to a certain person the way I may be prompted to simply because I want to abstain from all appearance of evil. I may allow myself to be defrauded taken advantage of simply because I want to abstain from all appearance of evil. This verse is huge. And what it basically is addressing is our testimony. God puts a premium on our testimony. God says it's very important how the world views you as a person. If it is our fault for, for being viewed as hypocritical, um, insincere, impure, unethical, then you know what? We have failed in our testimony. It's not about I'm a soul winner and people think I'm crazy. No, that's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with our tongue, our attitude, our actions are such that people question our sincerity, our our our. our I guess, realness. Your testimony, my testimony, is the foundation of our credibility. If you do not have a good testimony, you do not have credibility with your family, your friends, or the world in which you live. Our testimony is our credibility. <clears throat> Lose your credibility or your authenticity in the eyes of others and you will lose your influence in their lives. <clears throat> if they believe that you are fake or phony, then you will never have their ear, nor will you have their heart. It takes a great deal of time also to reestablish a testimony that's been lost. It's so valuable, so important. It's more valuable than your what do we, I, I had something on the tip of my tongue. Then your pride. Or my pride. I don't let no one creep me that way. Oh, your testimony's worth your pride. I won't let her talk to me that way. I'll show her. Okay. You may just lose your testimony. God says your testimony is very valuable because it ultimately provides you with a platform by which to testify of Him. If you lose your credibility among others, you will have no influence among them. Therefore, your testimony, God considers very valuable. You must guard that. I must guard that. Number three, not only guard our purity, our testimony, but we need to guard our home. Guard our home. In the book of Psalm, turn there if you would please, Psalm chapter 127, verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> you know, I enjoy this passage. It's, it is, it's one of my, my favorites. But the second half is what we're going to focus on now. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We understand that first couple of verses. 
the need for Christ in our life, obviously, as protection. And as a result, we, we must never forget that. But notice what it says in Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Children are a heritage of the Lord. They're a heritage. God extends them as gifts to us. We're stewards of them. We're responsible for them. Now, sometimes we think, well, our children are gone, so our home's not that important as far as what's in it. I believe that a home is a reflection of the heart. If you can have filthy movies in your home, then it's probably a filthy heart. If you can have the wrong kind of things to drink in your home, it's because you got a filthy heart. You haven't dealt with the heart issues. You don't allow things in your home that are inconsistent with your attitude and outlook. There aren't things that in your home that you do not count okay. Consider okay. If they weren't okay, you wouldn't have them in there, I would imagine. I mean, if they're really bad, you would say, they're not, I can't have them here. If they're really dangerous, you'd say, I'm not going to permit them in my home. What we do is, our home ultimately is a reflection of our hearts. When you go home tonight, ask yourself, is my home consistent with my testimony? Is my, is my heart really as clean as I think? As I view my home, as I see the things on my television, as I consider the music I listen to, as I look at what I permit in my home and, and the things that I permit around my, in my life and in my, the lives of my family, I mean, are, the, you know, are those things that please God? Because, let's face it, if they're not, it's because there's something wrong in here to begin with. This is where it all begins, in the heart of mankind. It's a reflection. Children are heritage. Therefore, we have a responsibility to the home to protect our home, to guard our home. <clears throat> As a man in your home, you ought to guard your family, your home from false doctrine in the world. You need to be very careful with that. There are people trying to deceive you and your family. There are people seeking to cause your children to go astray, to lead your wife captive, to lead your mind down a path that ultimately leads you into a prison, so to speak. You don't want to be bound by sin. So you must be careful to guard your home from false doctrine and the world. We need to keep our home pure and free from dangerous practices that will lead our families astray. There's a number of things we could talk about here, but you need to be very aware of those things. Very careful. Don't allow things that are impure in your home. I, don't believe, I would not let my kid have a Ouija board. I wouldn't let my kid have pentagrams on their, in their room. I wouldn't let them have pictures of movie stars half naked on their walls. You don't permit certain things in your home. We're not going to advertise dancing with the stars in our home. You know, we're not going to have pictures of those who win the CCM awards and the, the, this award and that award in the world that represent everything that we as Christians do not agree with and that God himself is grieved with. 
So we must protect ourselves and protect our homes and our families from those impure elements, those dangerous practices even, that will lead our families astray. <clears throat> the man in the home, and again, I'm talking about the man, but I think that we need to understand too that there may not be a man in the home. If there isn't, then ladies, guess what? You get to step up then. You get to step up. But the man is responsible for who and what comes into the home, whether it's by way of television, radio, reading materials, attitudes, all of those things. Notice I said attitudes. You need to protect your home from attitudes. <clears throat> Probably more important than objects is attitudes. You know, a lot of times we as parents make mistakes in this area. We, we demand the right behavior, but we do not demand the right attitude. The right attitude from our children is more important than the right actions. Because ultimately an attitude will lead a person astray, but a good attitude will bring them into submission also, into the right place. I, I don't mind somebody that makes mistakes, somebody that messes up, but I really have a hard time with somebody who has an attitude about doing right. Children need a good attitude, and as a father or as a mother, if you are the one responsible in, in your home for these things because you have no man in the home, you may have a husband but not a man. I'm going to say it. I just did. And that's why sometimes women take control of situations because there isn't a man to do it or that will do it. He's too busy watching the ball game. He's too busy relaxing because he works so hard 40 or 50 hours a week. Oh, my. He doesn't have time to police his home. He doesn't have time to be concerned about things that are really important, like his wife and his family. Did I just say that? I did. But it's important that we police these things and that we are careful. Man is responsible for uh, his, should I say, he polices bad habits such as smoking and drinking and things like that. We don't let those things in our home. We need to be careful. I understand. I, I know there are exceptions to the rule. A family member's in distress, threatening to commit suicide, comes over to your home and is smoking a cigarette. You don't go, knock that thing off. We don't smoke in this house. You smoke in this house, I'll have to kill you. No, they're already contemplating suicide. Why don't you show a little grace? You know what I'm saying? Come on, let's step outside for a minute, or let's do this, or let's do that. Use some wisdom there. But well, I'm not going to have a gathering for Christmas or Thanksgiving and have everybody drinking liquor and alcohol in my home. We're not going to be lighting up our cigarettes and enjoying time and, you know, second night. We can't even go to a restaurant and light up. I certainly hope you have enough respect not to light up my house when you know I don't agree with it. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to be nasty here, and I'm not nasty with people. I've never been that way. I honestly think it's ridiculous that the government can tell people they can't smoke in public. I think it's ridiculous. Now, again, you may say something. I think it's infringement on the rights of Americans. You can't even buy a pack of cigarettes without paying $6 in tax because they're going to try to protect us from ourselves. You aren't going to be able to eat McDonald's food pretty soon at the rate we're going. Mrs. Obama has her, her uh, particular um, persuasion adhered to. I want to eat double cheeseburgers. And if they kill me, that's my business. I don't want the government telling me what I can and can't eat or 
what I can and can't drink. Man, you gotta wear a you gotta wear a a seatbelt in a car, but you don't even have to wear a helmet on a motorcycle. How inconsistent is the world? Makes no sense to me. But nonetheless, we do need to police bad habits, especially in our homes, because our children are watching. They're so impressionable. It's so important. Finally, guard your reward. Guard your purity. Guard your testimony. Guard your home. Guard your reward. Say, what do you mean? Well, turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, we read this verse. It says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Hold that fast which thou hast. Somebody here possesses something. And the Lord is saying, You hold fast to that which you possess, that no man take thy crown. If we had a crown here and I was holding on to it and Brother Sean came up and tried to take it from me, we'd be wrestling around holding on to that thing. I wouldn't let it go for nothing. You know what? That's what the Bible's teaching us here. The Bible's teaching there are some things called your future reward that you do not want to let loose. You don't want to have it taken from you. You don't want to cause it to be, you know, taken away in any shape or form. You want that in the end. 2 John 1.8 says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. I want a full reward. I don't want anybody to take my crown. I don't want anybody to steal my rewards. Guard your rewards. They're valuable. God says they're valuable. One day we'll cast those crowns at the feet of Jesus Christ. That is valuable then to us. For the privilege and the opportunity to do that, we need to guard them, desperately guard them. God says, your purity is valuable to me. Your testimony is valuable to me. Your home is valuable to me. Your future reward is valuable to me. You know what? If it's valuable to God, it ought to be valuable to us. And if it is valuable to us, it is worth guarding. It's worth guarding. It took a lot of Money, expense, I should say, a lot of labor, a lot of effort to put the kind of security in place that protects $270 billion worth of gold. It costs some real money to do just that. And then to put it in there and to protect it requires an ongoing force of security. It costs something every day to protect that gold. But it's worth it. Because it is valuable. The things we've just discussed are valuable. Therefore, it is worth the investment to keep them safe. When you want to guard the physical, you put up fences, walls, and barriers. And I want to contend with you tonight that it is equally true spiritually. If you want to protect those basic areas, purity and testimony, home and your future reward, then you need to put up some walls, fences, and barriers. 
we call those or refer to them as standards. Standards. John chapter 10, verse 10. Turn there if you would, please. If I had this water sitting out and it was filled with liquid gold, that's Coca-Cola, isn't it? Maybe Pepsi. I don't know what your brand of liquid gold is. Coffee. Anyway, if it was extremely valuable, extremely valuable, I could not leave that sit here for very long. It would probably come up missing. If I was going to keep it safe, I'd have to put some walls up, some barriers up, fences up to keep it safe. Just because my purity is not physical in the sense that it's actually visible to you, uh, again, you can say, well, yeah, you're pure, but, but you, you really don't. It's really a heart thing. My testimony is something that it's real and it's concrete, but it's not something you can hold in your hand. My home is too broad. It's too much involved to hold it in my hand. My future reward is something I can't hold in my hand. Therefore, it's not real to us often. We don't see the urgency in guarding it because it's not tangible to us. An object is something we can see, feel, touch. We see the need to protect it from other people's hands that can pick it up and grab it. But may I say today that in our passage here in John chapter 10, verse 10, we have a being that is quite capable of snatching the intangibles of our life. Those things that are not necessarily physical, but spiritual. Notice, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come, Jesus says, that they might have life, that they might have it more abundant. We love that latter part, and we rejoice in the reality that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come to grant us life, and life more abundant. And thank God for that. But hold on, that first portion of the passage says, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. The thief cometh not. The thief is none other than Satan himself. He will do all that he can to steal, kill, and destroy your purity, your testimony. He will do all he can to steal, kill, or destroy your home and your future reward. He is serious about wrecking and ruining things that are precious to you as a believer. By the way, he never plays fair. And he has no problem hitting below the belt. He doesn't care about referees. He doesn't care about social pressure, politically, political correctness. He just wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And everything that is sacred in your life and of any value. So what ste steps can we take to protect what we have? If you have any purity at all. If, if, if you or I have any testimony at all, our home has any resemblance of a Christian home, 
or we have potentially any reward that one day will be received in heaven. What can we do to protect these most valuable assets? I'm going to give you three basic thoughts and we're done. And I mean they're, they're quick. Number one, define what is right and wrong. You must define what is right and wrong. We let everybody else tell us what is right and wrong in life. We really do. <clears throat> the truth is, is if your children are growing up in the proper kind of home, you as a parent have tremendous influence in their life. So in a sense, if we're not careful, what they learn right and wrong is what we tell them what right and wrong is. <clears throat> that becomes right and wrong. <clears throat> now that's okay early on in their life. But as they grow older, what I say is right and what I say is wrong won't stand the test. They're going to have to come to that conclusion on their own. Everybody in this room ought to know what is right and wrong. You should not ever say, well, the pastor doesn't let us do this. The pastor doesn't think this is right. Who cares what the pastor says? You better know what you believe. You better know what's right and wrong. Now listen, the pastor has influence. Hopefully his testimony is such that it proves out his life and it says, man, we can trust him. But hold on, in the end, you do not say, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't go here, I don't go there, I don't think this way or that way because the pastor said it's wrong. Because the moment you are disgruntled with the pastor, the moment he says something that you don't, ultimately agree with, you will discount everything he has said and ultimately go out and live your life for Satan. You'll throw it all away. Because obviously, he didn't know what he was talking about all along. How could I be such a fool to follow him? So what you need to understand is, if you're going to protect what's is valuable, purity, testimony, home, reward, you must know what is right and wrong. And to do that, you must invest time in the Word of God. It will not be a casual read that will arm you with the necessary knowledge to counteract Satan's attack in your life. It will be a thorough investigation into the basic principles and doctrines outlined in Scripture. If you cannot express your beliefs, then you do not have any. And often we go through life with this kind of, well, I know a little bit about football. I know a little bit about it. I mean, they use this ball that's got laces on it. And they throw it, and the goal is to get it at the, in the end zone. Well, let me ask you, is that knowing football? I mean, you, you have a very, very basic knowledge of it. It's not even really enough knowledge to enjoy the game, let alone be good at the game. And you know, that's how we are with Christian life. We've got such a basic knowledge, we can't even enjoy it. And we certainly can't be good at it because we don't know anything about it. Well, we know that you ought to be in church and you should read your Bible and pray. Well, bless God, that's good. Can you show me that in the Bible? Can you even point me to some scripture to help me? I don't know that. Can you show me why that's important? 
All I'm saying is, is that so often we have not defined right and wrong in our own life. How can we protect something when we don't really even know how valuable it is? Why fight for something if I don't know that it's important? Why be inconvenienced and discomforted simply because someone says, I should? You must, if you're going to start and and truly defend or guard your purity, testimony, home, and reward, you must first of all define what's right and wrong. You must understand what's right and wrong in order to place the proper fences up in your life. What is valuable? What is important to God? and to you as a believer. If it's important to you, then it's going to be worth putting up some walls, fences, and barriers to protect it and to keep the devil out from stealing it, killing it, or destroying it. Why is your testimony important? Because the pastor says? Why? I mean, again, we we, we have this surface knowledge Define what's right and wrong. You've got to dig in the Word of God. Get yourself a Bible concordance. Link verses together. Read a passage and go, wow, I saw that word somewhere else. Where's that word at in the Bible? Go over and start looking for every word and reading every passage and trying to understand that word, how it fits, what its real definition is. Not because Webster said so, but because God said so. And get a topical dictionary if you want, a biblical topical dictionary. And look up maybe an issue if you're concerned about it. I want to look up all the verses on this particular area. Some verses that will be helpful. They're not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. But they can be helpful in beginning to establish a foundation of understanding. Reread passages over and over and over again. You want to understand a passage, you're going to have to read at least 10 times. Maybe 30 or 50. We, we expect God, just like McDonald's, to, to somehow drive through the drive-thru of heaven and say, give me the answer real quick. Come on. What would you like? I want an answer to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. How's that work, Lord? We want it like that, fast food. Doesn't happen that way. God's old-fashioned. He makes everything with, by scratch. Takes time that way. But when you eat it, you know you got it. <clears throat> Define what's right and wrong. Number two, determine where to place the barriers now. I now know where, where or what needs a barrier, and it's going to require a fence. It's going to require a wall, something to protect that area of my life. Keep me from being, uh, from the devil getting in or from the world getting in and messing up my purity or my testimony, maybe my home. I know this is important and I know I shouldn't allow certain things in. I know biblically they're wrong, so I'm not going to let them influence my children, my wife, my family, myself. Okay, now let's put a fence up to make sure those things don't get in the house. Put a fence up. Let's put a barrier up. Let's put a wall up. It's called a standard. people scoff at standards today. 
They say they're not necessary. They're not needful. We are under grace. We're good to go. Grace does not protect your purity. Grace doesn't protect your purity. Grace provides it, but it doesn't protect it. You know what? You protect your purity. We act like God's responsible to do everything for us. He already has. We just need to do our part. You are responsible to protect yourself and your family. Therefore, you need to put some barriers up. Barriers that will help you protect. If your purity is important to you, valuable to you, if testimony, home, or future reward is valuable, then you really need to consider some barriers of protection. If I have a valuable diamond ring that I want to protect from harm and theft, I wouldn't leave it out in the open, unattended and unprotected. I wouldn't do that. I'd lock it away. I'd lock it away. I'd put some barriers up. I'd keep it from sight. I wouldn't want people to have easy access to it. That's what you do when you place a standard in place. When you put a standard in your home or in your life, you are placing a barrier of protection to keep things out or to even keep you in. Fort Knox, they put up more than one fence even. You notice that? They have electric fence one, electric fence two. They got barrier one, barrier two. They've got all these lines of defense. If one area is breached, there's another barrier. It's pretty important, isn't it? And in light of that, it's very important that we understand when we start to put up barriers that we are very careful where we put them. Because if that barrier gets breached, it may cost us. If you place your wall, your fence, or your barrier too close to the world, you may be flirting with disaster personally. But even more alarming is that you may be leaving no room for mistakes made by your children. We, your children are going to make mistakes, and so am I. They're going to push the envelopes. They're going to try to test the waters. Anybody that thinks their kid is perfect is a fool. They're all the same. They're just like us. Have you ever pushed the envelope? Have you ever stepped out a little bit and maybe gone over a little bit further than you should have? Absolutely, we all have. Guess what? Our children will too. If you want to be very careful with your kids, if you want to protect your children, it is wise to place your standards far enough away from the pitfall of sin just in case they may have a weak moment and breach the barrier. If this represents the consequences of sin, I mean big consequences, 
it may not be wise to put the fence or the barrier or the stander right here on the edge. It might be wise to put it back here. You ever wonder why God says it's not good for man to touch a woman? You ever wonder why? God was trying to place a standard in your life to protect you, to protect your children. I don't have a problem with my son or daughter kissing or hugging or doing those things. That's no big deal. God says it's not good. It's not good that a man touch a woman. Oh, well, that means in the Greek, what that really means is to have, have intimate relations. Oh, really? Is that what it means? Oh, really? Who told you that? Oh, did you hear someone say that, or did you study that out? Is that what God says, or is that what someone told you? The last time I checked, touching meant touching in the Bible. Why would God do that? Because God wants to put the standard or the fence, the guardrail, the wall, the barrier far enough away so that if you you haven't fallen to your demise. That's why. God doesn't intend for you to break His law, but I think God's smart enough to know that we're stupid. And we're going to test sometimes in areas. Why is it that we as a church do not go to activities with youth groups that are swimming together, boys and girls? Because they're going to touch. We don't think that's a good idea. Because God says it's not a good idea. It's not because the preacher's an old fuddy-duddy. It's not because he's off his rocker, just like Betty Crocker. It's not because he doesn't want children to have a good time, have fun. No, it's because he says, we're going to draw the standard here so that if they step over a little, push the envelope, sneak off, run out, they're going to think they have just broken in to Fort Knox when they sneak a, a little kiss. Now, I may shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be talking like that to, to everybody, but let me tell you something. If you set the standard right here, the moment your children step over it, they're done. I want every child in the room, I want every child in the room to go to the altar pure. But that doesn't mean it will happen. Just because it doesn't happen doesn't make you a bad person forever. God's grace is sufficient, it's wonderful. But why not put things in place to at least do our best to guard against it? We as parents can't make our kids do anything at some point. We've got to trust that they are wise enough to make good decisions. But let's put the barrier back far enough as we raise them <clears throat> so that they are not stepping in to the abyss when they make the first mistake in their life. See, guardrails are important. God sets some, and that's why you need to know what is right and what is wrong. Now you know 
what deserves or necessitates a guardrail, but then determine where to place the barrier. You place it far enough that it will protect you. Last, and we're done. Don't move the fence every time you feel closed in. Don't move the fence every time you feel closed in. Standards have a tendency to make people feel claustrophobic. If, if they're simply rules to be, to be carried out, you feel like you are trapped. That's what we struggle with with our young people. Rarely does a young person, once they hit the teen years, understand the need for standards. They think they're, they're ridiculous. They think they have no purpose. What, you don't trust me? No. No. No, we don't. We don't trust you. We don't even trust ourselves. Are you kidding me? The, the point being is, is that they're going to have to come to come to a place where many times it's simply duty for them. Don't give in on your standard because it's hard to keep. Don't just open up the floodgate and say, who cares? No need to guard it anymore. Can't deal with the heartache. Listen, Fort Knox has men and women on duty constantly protecting, making sure that that is an impenetrable object, that no one can get to that $270 billion. Let me tell you, your purity, your children's purity, your home purity is more valuable than Fort Knox and the gold that's in it. And so is your testimony, your home, and your future reward. That $270 billion will be burned up, but your future reward is for eternity. It's hard to deny ourselves anything today. I mean, let's face it, Thanksgiving proves that. You know, I mean, you, I, somebody, I don't know, somebody gave me these, I forget what they're called. What, what are those things called, Sherry? Well, yeah, candy, but I want it specific so everybody knows. Are they truffles? Boy, oh boy, I don't know who gave them to me. I really don't. But let me tell you something. I'm not, I'm not eating that. I don't try to eat that stuff. But I'm telling you, it's hard to deny myself. Those babies melt in your mouth. Are they good? I don't know. I don't know what they're called exactly, but anyway, they're truffles or something like that. But I'm going to tell you something. Those babies are sweet. They're good. I don't like to deny myself things. I don't like it. That's why fasting's tough. Because we don't like to deny. <clears throat> but... One of the temptations, and let me use this as an illustration, is that we put a standard in place in our home to protect us and our family, our purity, our testimony, our home, our future reward. We put a movie standard in place. Remember I talked about that a while back in Sunday school. We say the, the, the standard is PG. We say, I'm not going to let anything else in my home, but no more than a PG. That would be the, the most we'll let in. The temptation is to go, well, I heard this movie's not bad. I'm just going to, I'll watch this one. What's it rated? Well, it's PG-13. What's this one? Oh, it's rated R. Oh, what's this one rated? Oh, but they said there's not, it's not bad. I'll, I'll look at that one. I'll check that one out. <clears throat> the temptation is to begin to lower the standard or to actually to make exceptions one after the other. If you start making exceptions one after the other, and someone says, well, so I can never make an exception? I didn't say that. I'm saying this. You better be careful when you start making exception after exception. 
when it seems that exceptions are the rule now. That, that becomes a problem because the temptation then will be to either lower the standard or remove it. You have to be very careful. Remember, that's why it's important that you know what's right and wrong. Because ultimately it has to be God that determines the standard. He says this is right, so therefore the standard keeps that safe. I know that if I give in on my standard, <clears throat> that it may potentially compromise God's law, which will then compromise my purity, my home, my testimony. I have liberty in Christ. I understand all that. <clears throat> but I also know that biblically and scripturally, God says my purity is very valuable to me. God says my home is very valuable. God, God says <clears throat> my future reward is very valuable. <clears throat> my testimony is very valuable. If it's valuable to God, it ought to be valuable to me. <clears throat> and if the world says this is valuable to us, we're going to protect it at all costs. We're going to guard it with our very lives, no matter what it costs us. I believe as believers tonight, there are some things, and we've talked about four of them, just four, that are worth spending our time, our energy, our money, our effort in guarding and defending. And I trust that tonight you will believe the same and think the same thing. Know what's right and wrong. Figure it out. Spend time in your Bible. And then go ahead and, as we said already, determine where to place the barriers. And then don't move the fence every time you feel closed in. Stick to it. Stay with it. Father, we come to you. <clears throat> we thank you again for all you've